But when it comes to like reaching out to people for help, I mean, when I reached out to mentors, I always wanted to say, I didn't want to just go in as a taker. I wanted to go in and say, listen, I don't know what I can offer you, but I will work my butt off. I'll do whatever I can. T tell me what you don't like doing in your world right now, mm -hmm. and I'll do it. I don't care what it is. It, it, I don't know. Get your dry cleaning. I don't know. You know, do you know bookkeeping. But I know that if I do that for you and I become valuable mm -hmm. in doing that to you, then you're going to ultimately start sharing more and sharing more and sharing more. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Ultimate Ambitions. And today I'm here with Greg Gatsby. Such an interesting dude. Such an interesting background. We're going to get into it. Led him on the show with the Boston hat on. You guys know, as a Staten Island native and a New Yorker, the Yankees and the Red Sox. However, I have recently been to Fenway. Okay. An incredible place. Very cool Incredible stadium, place, right? yeah. I got to tell you, when they knocked down the old Yankee Stadium mm -hmm. and they built the new one, it, just, it was never the same. Yeah. yeah, it was never the same. Luckily for Fenway, it's like a national historic site, so they're not allowed to knock it they down. They can't knock it down. Yeah, I heard can't. that. We're going to get into the story of what you do now, but so born in Boston? Well, born about 45 minutes from Boston, okay. but I've been a New England kid my whole life. Half my family is in New Hampshire now, Okay. and half is in uh, in and around Boston. Okay. Um, but yeah, New England kid. Yeah. New Hampshire. Um, Beautiful up there. Was, yeah. yeah, majority of my life. So, so what brought, what landed you in LA? Because I know you have a lot of things that were going on and you, where you are in your, let me say your journey right mm -hmm. now, but how did LA kind of come into the mix there? I had residencies that I was DJing in Boston and, um, I was doing music mm -hmm. But I was also coaching boxing full time. I worked at Title Boxing and um, had a few side hustles. I was doing kind of everything. Music was not, it didn't pay the bills yet. Yeah. And um, I had a song do really well. It was on the Billboard's dance chart. Mm -hmm. And I got the attention of some management here. And, you know, they said, look, we want to get you in some sessions, but they're going to be frequent and there's a lot of opportunity here. We'd rather you be here. Mm -hmm. And I kind of explained, yeah, but you know, I got a good job here and family and support and I kind of need to, I don't think I'm ready um, to make that jump and just do music full time. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we'll, we'll float the, the startup money for the first few months. We'll get you out here. We'll get you set up. Like we really want you here. And, um, Shout out to Sam for his belief and commitment in me and, you know, everyone else that's supported. But that's what that was the catalyst. I always knew I should. Mm -hmm. You kind of want to be where the action is. Yeah. Um, you don't have to, obviously, with the Internet. You can make it anywhere, honestly. Yeah. But it helps when you reach a certain point in your career, at least in, in music, I think, that you're here, or maybe Nashville. Or, but, um, yeah, once he made that offer, it was like too good to, to turn out. I was like, yeah. OK, forget everything. Let's go. No, oh, yeah, so wow. I, I got I got lucky with a little bit of a head start on the move. So you took that leap of faith. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that was a little scary. It was. What were some of the biggest concerns you had? Were like, was it coming out here and not working out? Like, because there's a lot of people probably watching and listening that may have an opportunity. Like, we're gonna get into how you how you start into the music, mm -hmm. but a lot of times when opportunities come like that, people are scared. They're nervous. Like, so. You had your goal you wanted to attain, and this was part of the progression. What was the scariest thing? I remember having a lot of excitement, honestly. Maybe that's just the way I'm wired. Yeah. I was trying to be responsible, obviously. I was, like, trying to save up and make sure I had enough music money coming in to be able to move like that. Yeah. 
but um, I, I've always been kind of really aware of the fact that we have like a finite amount of time and that life is fragile and that um, things can be taken from you quickly. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I was just more excited than anything. I was pretty anxious to get it done. And once I had an opportunity like that, I yeah. was I was fired up, but I think one thing I think you know I definitely thought about am I going to be able to afford to stay? Yeah, LA is expensive. <laughs> I'm giving up my other income. Um, am I gonna you know I won't be around my family, which is a big part of my life. It's a sa- it's honestly a sacrifice every day to be here and not with them. Yeah, which is what really drives me because when you think about the time you're giving up, I mean obviously I visit as often as possible and mm-hmm. we talk every day, but you know you're giving up you're giving up a lot. So you have to make it count. And yeah. that's, that's been driving me, but I was a little bit fearful of leaving family and, and, and paying the bills. Yeah. I think those were the two, the two that were in the back of my mind. So what was your entree into music? Like, you know, like I always find it unique when you have these people who are high level performers at things that are so unique, like being a DJ, mm-hmm. like how do you start that? Like, how did you get into that? Crazy. So, I, I was more sports guy. Mm-hmm. I loved athletics. I loved competing. I loved teams, um, being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. And I just remember how cool it was when you'd go to like a Celtics game that the music would flow in layup lines. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, it was so interesting to me that it didn't like start and stop always. Sometimes it was like mixed in. Yeah. And my uncle was a DJ, even though I didn't know what that was. And at the local high school, he would also mix. And it was just so cool that, you know, bring him out would be the first four bars and all of a sudden it's like Jadakiss and then all of a sudden and it flowed and I was yeah. always you know the champ is here plays and then mm-hmm. and I was like what how how's he doing that <laughs> and I just looked it up on the internet and I found free software where you could cut up audio file and this was like at the beginning of really sharing music online and mm-hmm. being part of those chat communities that would share records oh, we had no okay. idea it was like disrupting the music industry forever we were just like it's so cool that I can you know, you can give me that song I heard in this movie and I can give you the Metallica album or whatever. Yeah. And um, so I was part of these like little geek chat rooms where we were sharing music and ideas. And I was I downloaded free software where you could cut up pieces of songs. Still didn't know that's what it, a DJ is or that it's a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was the foundation to producing even. But I just thought it was fun to make mixtapes for my friends and, and mostly to make music for, for basketball. It was like, I just wanted to make the music to like, hope to yeah that was it and then i started to learn about dj culture yeah and um when i got to college my teammates a lot of them rapped so i'd go to the studio with them and i met the producer so you played ball in college yeah where'd you go yeah fisher college okay in the back bay in boston yeah um so yeah we and we actually we had a lot of maybe four or five kids on our team from new york city okay um did you say you're from staten island staten island yeah yeah new york well uh one of my best friends to this day, his name is Michael Newcomb. He was from Staten Island. He okay. was on my team. All right. He was like an all-state New York guy. He was an unbelievable player. But um, anyways, a lot of them rapped. I went to the studio. So it was through sports. I just liked that music was a part of basketball culture. Yeah. And then I got introduced to producing by going to the studio with them. And I took a part-time job promoting clubs from the school. I'd walk to the nightclubs, and I started learning about DJ culture there mm-hmm. and how to throw a party and how to create a scene and um how the music impacts that yeah and so i started throwing my own parties started to dj them and then i found out after all of that oh it's a job (laughs) and (laughs) that's when i decided i never i just liked making mixtapes for people that was it 
And I'm kidding. I was never proficient at an instrument to this day. You know, I can play a little guitar and a little piano for you. I can, you know, kind of work my way through a song. Yeah. But I go right into the software after and drag the MIDI notes around and perfect it and manipulate it. And I'm more painting than I'm playing music. I can't, um, I'm not very good at any instrument to this day. You have an ear for it, at least, mm. to know when to move things and when to mix in. Yeah, you've, it's, it's you've fu- learned. It's funny, you said that being a DJ is a lot like producing music, where most people wouldn't think that. Most people think that a DJ is there, they got the turntables, they got their setup, and they're just blending music a little bit kind of on the spot with mm-hmm. a little bit of flow. Like you said, what happens at the basketball game, and of course, we all know at, at the club, mm-hmm. But there's a production element of it that I guess most people probably don't even think about. I mean, you start learning the structure of a song, right, as a DJ, Mm because you want to know when to transition and when to layer records. Yeah. You start training your ear to find out what's in key, Mm -hmm. what works together. And you start piecing together little edits or remixes or songs that work well on top of each other. And through that, you're really building your ear and your feel. Yeah. And then if you spend some time in the studio, you start learning how the DAW works, the, the digital workspace Mm -hmm. and um yeah you don't have to be a musician at that point if you have a passion for it you can you can you can utilize the software and the different plugins and your ear and your inspiration as a dj to start to put some songs together and then over time you'll learn a little bit of piano or you'll you'll learn how to run a session with with uh session musicians bring in a guitar player and inspire his part and record it but then you know glue it to your track the way you want you don't necessarily have to be a musician yeah like at what point did you say you know what i think this is what i can do for like w- when it went from i'm just kind of doing this to help my teammates out or whatever but at some point when you said you started throwing parties and that's marketing mm. that's branding that's building a business and it probably didn't feel like work for you but at what point did you say wow oh, this is something like did was there a moment where you're like wait a second i think this could be the next big thing. I knew there was money. The music part didn't think about a business to me for a while, but I knew there was money in nightlife because um, mm-hmm. I was going into these meetings like as a young promoter and I'd partnered with some older guys that were used to it. Mm-hmm. And I was, what made sense to me was not things they were already asking for. And it was blowing their mind. They're like, how'd you do that? How'd we get away with it? I'm like, well, this is what just makes sense business-wise. I'd go in and say, look, you know, I need 15 for us to take on the Friday night here. We need you know, 15 bottles of your house champagne, the cheapest stuff. This is nothing to you. You won't even notice it. But I need 15 bottles of it because I need, you know, every influential person in here to feel like we care about them. And I want them popping bottles like it's water. Let's just give it away. <laughs> like, let's make this Let's make this high energy, fun, over the top. Yeah. Let's make this, let's not nickel and dime these people. Let's comp a lot of our friends and influential people. Let's comp some tables. Let's get champagne flowing. Let's make this a celebration. And that will attract you know, the people that are going to pay money, the people that maybe don't have the in are going to buy the really expensive table. And that made sense to me. And obviously it's deeper than that. And there's other marketing avenues to think about, but that was the basis of it. Let's throw a great party with good music. Let's take care of the people that we know will bring people. And, um, and I had like high requests, you know, we wanted, we wanted a hundred percent of the door. I wanted 10% of the bar. I wanted uh, as much comp alcohol as we need. And, on like a prove it deal. Like if it doesn't if it doesn't pop off, then you know, you fire us. Yeah. But if not, what's it to you? If not ninety percent of your bar is better than the empty room you have now, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's how we did it. And that's how 
you know, I learned how, and then along the way I learned how Facebook ads worked or how you, um, you know, how you build a list and keep in touch with people and email marketing and all that stuff. Where'd you learn this from? Did you, did you just kind of research it online? Did you have a mentor? I definitely had mentors in nightlife for Mm -hmm. sure. But I think, and I would take some things from them and others I would just learn online or as I went. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say, because I want to get into the boxing thing, Mm -hmm. what would you say from the business element from where you started out to then promoting and then having, like you said, your own parties, what was the one thing that stood out to you as a critical piece of advice or something you learned that really was transformative in your whole career in that early stage? Well, one was that I really focused on entertainment value, like providing value Mm -hmm. and i think the the thought around the parties at that time or even dance music scene was like you know um a a bit pretentious a bit like they'll come anyways type of situation Mm. or if we're too good for everyone and that actually works in some markets really well los angeles is one yeah i think the harder it is to get in in general with a lot of things actually does create hype so it works a little but i had a different i i took a different approach and i think it works through lots of businesses is that if you really focus on creating the majority of the value in the transaction or the relationship, Mm -hmm. then you'll always do well. And that's what I did. I just tried to make sure that we over-delivered on the entertainment value, that people had a good time and they were treated well. And, um, you know, I read a book uh, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Excellent book. Yeah. Everyone should read that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, you know, relationships are the key to everything. Mm -hmm. And learning how to navigate those, how to treat people. Um, yeah, the art of dealing with people. Yeah. That's like, I think, the number one skill, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I honestly forget who told me to read that, but that would have been the best advice I've ever gotten, probably, was to read that book. Yeah, it's one of the best books I've ever written. And it definitely changed my world with navigating business and really networking. Because I didn't know networking and the value of it. And then once I started learning the value of it, I had to learn that when I entered these networks, I had to be a value to people mm-hmm. in the networks if I truly wanted to get something back out of it. Super important. I think that just made me think of something, with, especially with DJs, producers, I would imagine all other artists, and maybe just entrepreneurs in general. I see a lot of, I get a lot of DMs mm. of like, you know, please do this for me, or how can I do this, or... You know, and I, I try to answer them and, you know, I genuinely want to help people. But I always think to myself, if I wasn't me, if I was like most people, <laughs> because it does, it rubs me a wrong way a little bit. And I know for other people, it definitely, it just disqualifies you right away. You should always lead with value. That's how you're going to get a response in the DM. Mm-hmm. If you DM me with, hey, I have this skill set, but I really, you know, admire X, Y, Z about you or your career. If, if I provide this, would you be willing to show me how you do that? Or would you be willing to help me with this? Or, yeah. But lead with what what are you bringing? Because if you're just asking people and taking and taking it, it, it doesn't, it's not a great way to start a conversation. Yeah, that's huge. If you lead with value, you're going to get answers. Yeah. People don't realize, it, but in their own world, that's how they are. Mm-hmm. They respond. But when it comes to like reaching out to people for help, I mean, when I reached out to mentors, I always wanted to say, I didn't want to just go in as a taker. I wanted to go in and say, listen, I don't know what I can offer you, but I will work my butt off. I'll do whatever I can. Tell me what you don't like doing in your world right now, Mm -hmm. and I'll do it. I don't care what it is. I don't know. Get your dry cleaning. I don't know. You know, do, you know, bookkeeping. 
but I know that if I do that for you and I become valuable mm-hmm. in doing that to you, then you're going to ultimately start sharing more and sharing more and sharing more. And that's what I'm there for. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to learn. And it's hard for a lot of people to do that because people inherently are going to say, well, I don't know. Am I getting paid here? Like, you know, what, what, you know, it, you know, it's people have that mindset and that mentality. So boxing, you kind of slid that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something you just did as, as as a kid? Like, how did you get into the point yeah. where you were training people? Yeah, my whole life. I mean, um, I didn't grow up with my dad, but he was a boxer, and I would visit him. And also, it was just kind of in the culture of our family. Um, I spent a lot of time with my uncle, who owned a gym and had a kickboxing world title. And um, my dad had a Golden Gloves title. And these are terms and tournaments and things that I was around growing up and that inspired me. And I, I loved watching boxing. Um, Greatest boxer of all time. I think in his prime, what Manny Pacquiao accomplished going across eight weight classes for the world <laughs> yes. titles is probably the most impressive thing I've ever seen. I have this such a loaded question. There's people like Sugar Ray Robinson that. And then you have Floyd, who you couldn't even touch, mm-hmm. literally. Defend, like, I just admire so many of them. My favorite boxer, I'll answer that, was Bernard Hopkins. Okay. That's my favorite boxer. Okay. Um, but, yeah, Manny probably is, like, to me, the most impressive. It's just ridiculous what he For did. what he accomplished. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's arguments for Tyson. For sure. You know, so, uh, you know, my era... It was it was Tyson. Yeah, and yeah, he's bigger than life. Yeah, he biggest, was biggest athlete in the world. Yeah, and Maybe he person. He, he <laughs> yeah, he was. He brought that appeal and almost like that. I don't want to say celebrity, but it kind of was. You know, uh, you have guys like you know. Uh, I'm a big fan of Hagler, but yeah. you know, but Tyson brought something that really brought people into the sport, and that's part of being an athlete in the sport. Can you get people who maybe didn't typically watch that sport? Right, interested in that sport because that's an element to it. Yeah, you know? he transcended boxing. He was he, he was bigger than, than the sport that. itself, you know. And that was something that was uh, to me very different uh, when it came to that. So it was kind of always in you know, like I was telling you about my friend John, who was from Boston. His uncle uh, Sal Bartolo, mm-hmm. uh, he was a, a fighter, a championship boxer. Um, so you got into? Did you start competing yourself? Yeah, you did. Yeah, wow. I fought in the New England Golden Gloves and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had I had some success in the amateurs, and then you know, I uh, music was really what was taking over my life. So do, do you do any boxing now? Do you train at all? Yeah, I go to the gym. Yeah. I have I have a couple of buddies that are that are in close friends that are world champions, and they all have their own gym or ecosystem that I like to go and just be a just it's just fun for me to be yeah. a part of the gym for the day. Yeah, not as consistent as I would like. Um, I help a few, a few friends too. I still train a few people, but oh, you do? Yeah, not. I don't market that or consistently yeah. work it, but just, um, just to just to hold mitts and be around the sport. But I, I want. I've been. It's funny you ask because I've been recently. I've been like, okay, this needs to be a priority again in my life because it really, for me, it gave me better mental health, gave me better physical health. It gave me an outlet. I'm a little bit like. You know, just that like New England, like yeah. it's just like you know New York, same oh, way. Oh, like, I know. I you're know. at the stoplight for one second, you're like, let's go. Like, <laughs> e- everything <laughs> is so, and I think when you have an outlet for that, um, you can make better decisions. Yeah, and just lower your stress a little. Oh yeah, I so. mean yeah, like you said, mental, physical. That's why I got you know I was going to the gym and it was fine. It was doing things, but then I started, of course, a few years ago, taking my phone to the gym. 
and taking my phone to the gym started turning into while working while I was working out. Mm. And emails were coming in, and you know, it was just it turned into not relaxing, not enjoyable, not whatever. So I realized that I wanted to do something where I wasn't connected still. So uh, I had done some boxing early on, but I didn't know if I wanted to get back into boxing. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to get beat up at this age. So I had some friends who were black belts in jiu-jitsu, and they were always talking about jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu. And I was like, what is that, like karate, taekwondo? Like I did that when I was a kid, and they're like, no, it's totally different. So I had been a fan of the UFC, so Mm -hmm. I knew a little bit about it. So I started it. And uh, I started just a few years ago, and I'm hooked on it because it's a great workout, but it's also great for from your mental health standpoint. And it's something you have to do for an hour, like boxing, where you can't have your phone. Mm-mm. Like you go to the gym to work out, like you do a set and you look at your phone. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, it's like nine minutes later, you're like, oh, and you put your phone down, you're doing your next set. So hey, I'm at the gym for two hours, and it should have taken me 45 minutes for that workout. Right. And I'm still connected. Jiu-jitsu, none of that. And you're not thinking about anything else. You can't do anything else. You can't focus on anything else. Your phone is like in your bag, and you're just worried about not getting choked out. And or now worried now at the point where I am at now trying to like you know dominate opponents. And it has done so much for my mental health, and so much for my mental clarity because just taking a break for a little bit during the day with I'm sure your days are crazy and there's you know a million things you're doing. For an hour where you're just not, you're disconnected from the world, it does so much for me. And that's when I realized, I was like, yeah, I need I need this in my life. So when people are like, oh, you always talk about jujitsu, it changed your life. I'm like, it changed my life, not from the standpoint that like I know how to like choke people mm-hmm. in a kimono now, but it, from a standpoint of learning how to problem solve, how to stay calm under stress, and also be present to, most people just aren't present anymore. And like, you know, when you get into the ring, you don't have the luxury of thinking about like mm-hmm. bills or, you know, your girlfriend or the, like you got to be focused right on what's in front of you. And jujitsu is the same way, because if your mind is wandering. So those are the times where like I'm actually present and most people aren't, you know, anxiety and depression. Depression is what thoughts of thinking about the past and focusing on the past. Anxiety is fear of the future. When you're present, there is no depression, there is no anxiety. You're just present in that moment. And I found that with jujitsu, and that's what really made me hooked. So the the skill of what I'm learning is one thing, but I'm getting so much more from it. So I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say, yeah, I want to get back into it. You know when you get in a little bit, you have a big change in your life or a transition, and you get a little overwhelmed, and you get out of your flow, it's tough to get back, but you know what you need to do. Yeah. And... Um, I've slowly been, but now I know I need to dive back in all the way. I just had a conversation in the hallway about that. Yeah. Because they were, you know, catching up about, you know, I hadn't seen them in a while. And, yeah. But um, you're right, by the way. Uh, well, I mean, of course you're right. It's your personal experience. But I mean, I think this applies to everyone. Martial arts is meditation. It, it is yeah. mindfulness. It is all forms. They're, they're so incredible. I, I would highly suggest anyone do it. Did you see Henry Gracie's new book? No. He just released a book. I don't want to butcher it because it'll smack me. I just ordered it, but I think it's 32 Principles. Okay. Um, but um, either way, if you look up his name in the book, yeah, uh, it's a book that essentially prepares you for life based on principles learned through jiu-jitsu. Really? And they're incredible. And it just reminded me you were talking about it. Um, yeah, jiu-jitsu is a great teacher, like oh, a master yeah. teacher of how to navigate the world yeah 
There's so many lessons in that about leverage, right? Yeah. The little guy can pin the big guy if you understand leverage. Yeah. Um, So pretty cool. I think that book's going to be great. I haven't read it yet, but I just got it. Have you read Breathe by Hicks and Gracie? No. That is another great book. And I I tell people all the time, listen, I don't care if you don't do jujitsu. It's fine. The book is about life Mm. and things to help you navigate some of the challenges. And he had an incredible story and, of course, you know, a lot of heartbreak and a lot of tragedy in his world, but it really taught you. And there is an element of the book that talks about breathing, uh, and which is tied to the title. But I read that book and I was like, immediately, you don't need to have even stepped onto a mat ever to appreciate the lessons in this book. And like you said, it, it's it's meditative when you're there, when you're doing it. So it's a mind and body benefit that. It's hard to explain to people. They just have to do it. For sure. And once they do it, they'll they'll understand it. So what's next on the horizon for you? You know, I wanna I wanna before we close, I wanna find out like what's what are you excited about that you're working on? What are you most excited about that you're working on right now? I'm most excited about finally finding what I what I actually wanna do, both within well, mostly within my my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I am starting another business. Uh, it just finalized um, where we were going to be. Well, there's going to be a lot of different products, but the, the the main product and mission is for people dealing with disabilities to give them mobility back. So it's a it's a wheelchair that is all terrain. So the wheelchair can go onto the beach, you can go into the snow, you can go back on your ranch, you can work again, you can go hunting, you can get on the hiking trail, uh, you can go into water, mm-hmm. you can go in, you can go anywhere in your wheelchair and with your friends, family, or back into your passions outside. It's giving that freedom back. So uh, we have that, and then we'll have a few other things going too. So I, I have this 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 action brand thing going, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, music wise, I I took some time uh, to kind of I took like a six month break. I feel like yeah, and just re-envisioned what I want my brand to be. I had just been going. I had just been um, releasing things to release them. And I think if there's musicians listening or artists, and maybe this applies also to content around your business or whatever, I think sometimes we get satisfied with the fact that we completed something or maybe just pressure or anxiety around I need to put out something. Either one, I learned from a mentor recently to never, just by watching them, to never compromise vision if especially if you're an artist but i think probably in business yeah there's a reason why you uniquely have that and um even if it doesn't make sense to everyone else uh or even if it seems like a really tough obstacle meaning this is going to cost more money to do it this way this is going to take more time this is going to be uh this is going to be a slight inconvenience for everyone else this is gonna, i i have always considered all those things and my music has suffered. I've put out stuff that's subpar. I believe mm-hmm. every track till now has been subpar. And I spent six months diving into what do I want, what I want it to sound like, regardless of obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I want the brand to look like? How am I going to consistently release content? Because I'm not naturally a content guy. I don't like filming myself. Yeah. I don't want to do TikTok. I don't want to dance. <laughs> I, I, and But it doesn't matter what you want. The market says you need to. Yeah. Or at least some version of that. Find, mm-hmm. find a li- you have to do the work and get comfortable, and it took me a long time. It's amazing I've made it this far without doing it, but I have a plan now for how the content's gonna go, what the brand's gonna look like, and be uniquely me and authentic, mm-hmm. so I don't have to act. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited, I've been I've been getting this vision together, and the next step is to deploy it. So awesome. it'll be a different sound for my music, and it'll be much more consistent content. Um, 
So that's what I've been gearing up for. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's exciting, too, because now it, I, could, I could just tell in your voice, your voice changed, talking about actually entering into that domain. Like you, I could tell your energy is there. So that's awesome, because that's yeah. what you want it to be, you know? So where can people find your music? Well, in any digital store, mm-hmm. um, you know, Spotify and Apple. And I think the place that I post the most is Instagram. Okay. Um, Greg Gatsby Music okay. on Instagram. And um, I share, you know, everything that I'm working on there. And I have a link out to my to my last album and newest single, and I, I kind of stay up to date there. But really, really, um, any any digital store, if you type in Greg Gatsby, there'll be people's remixes of my stuff that they've made, and mm-hmm. then my originals as well. Awesome, awesome. I got to ask you one question about the wheelchair thing. Mm-hmm. Was there someone in your world that was affected by that that made you start looking at opportunities in that space? Well, certainly I've thought about these types of things and I've had experiences with people that, you know, lost their freedom that way. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is I knew someone that was involved with the manufacturer Mm -hmm. and it was made in the U S and they were doing really great things for veterans and for, um, other people that you know, my family that really relates to my family Mm -hmm. and some of my personal experiences. And it was very inspiring what they were starting to do. And it also looked like a great opportunity. And I remember this is more business side, but I remember my grandfather saying to me, because, you know, he he didn't grow up with any money, Mm -hmm. but he ended up doing really well. And he said the biggest changing point for him was when he went to Europe with the military, you know, he was drafted into Vietnam. It wasn't his choice or his plan, but he went to Vietnam, 18 years old. And you know, a few years after that, not long, he was overseas and he saw a machine that skinned fish a certain way uh, that was way more efficient. And he asked the guys using it there, you know, is this, a, is this in America? And they said, no. He said, how do we secure some sort of deal or license to bring it there? I want to open a fish, you know, market in Boston. And he brought it back and crushed. And his, his point and lesson to me was, you know, find something, of course, follow your passion and contribute to the world and all those things. Yeah. But a major key to finding a good business is find something people need or that can make their life easier that isn't already available and bring it there. Even if it already exists, you don't always have to invent something. Yeah. But find something that isn't available where you are. And this product already existed. They're the top of their class, this manufacturer. It's, mm-hmm. it's made in the U.S. They go through painstaking process to make sure it's incredibly built um they have a clear mission they're a good good character business i've met everyone in their factory um but they had no dealerships and no distributors and no one with the rights to the Uh, southwestern part of the country like arizona southern california that part of nevada that we like that whole region yeah was untouched and there's a lot of people here that have a need and um so it was equal parts inspiring because I saw what the product was doing for people. Yeah. And, oh, there's an opportunity here. No one is, no one, there's no presence here. No one's talking about this. No one's marketing it. Um, and it's not even available um, to demo for people in the area. Yeah. Um, so, I was thinking about my grandfather. Bring something that isn't really in people's yeah. faces that you know is going to, could possibly change their life or, be a major benefit yeah. and bring it to where you are. And that's really what I had his voice in my head when I heard about the opportunity. My stepfather told me about the product and the opportunity. 
and then I, I, I thought about what my grandfather said as well. And based on the wisdom of those two, I, I dove you know all the way in, and now we're ready to launch. That is amazing. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it, folks. You can. We're gonna put all the links below to discover more and follow you, follow your music. And uh, I think we have a little bit more to talk about, so we're probably going to have to sure. maybe talk about doing a part two because there's some some things that I want to learn more about from Boston because I told you one of my best friends are from yep. there. So uh, I'm looking forward to having you back. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.